145 in your songbooks. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Amen. 145 as we get started this evening. Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is turn a couple pages over to 132, 132, the old rugged cross. Thank you. 
Amen. And I uh, want to encourage those that play other instruments. Uh, I know we have a few here. And, and uh, Sunday night's just a great time to get them all out and practice a little bit and have a little fun. And maybe if we get good enough, we'll do it on Sunday morning. Amen. So just an encouragement there. Try to do that. Had 92 this morning. So we praise the Lord for that. We're only eight short of 100. And uh, moving back in the right direction, so praise the Lord for that. Shirley's home, doing well from the hospital, and uh, Bob's recovering. He said, um, going to have his arm in a sling for the next six weeks, but it's going to take nearly a year to recover. But uh, just pray for him, but praise the Lord, things are doing better. Amen. And um, also, I forgot to write it down, but uh, Millette told me this morning that her eye exam was last week. And uh, it went very well. There's, uh, she was afraid that she was going to need surgery and that there were problems. And uh, praise the Lord, she passed her test. She's doing well. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, any other praises to add to the list here? And of course, silence. Brother Franz? I spoke to my sister in Orlando today, and she told me to stop by church this morning at the same church that I... Uh, went with her last time I was out there. She just got up and went to church, and I praise the Lord for that. And said, "No, I've been praying for her for a while, so just hope that uh, she gets saved soon." But she went to church and praise the Lord. Amen. I forgot to turn my phone off for church. Okay, praise the Lord. His sister went to church this morning. What church was it anyway? Okay. Yes. Okay. Good church. All right. Anyone else? Um, Brother Paul. Amen. Um, Leah, were you able to get a hold of Brother Thrip? Right. That's what we were hoping he would do. Is I knew he was about two hours away, but... If Brother Thrift recommends a church, it's a good one. So, all right. Praise the Lord. Felix talked to his mom last week and said, give me a number of a church down here in Jacksonville. So we'll praise the Lord for that. And uh, all right. Anything else? Praise the Lord. Some things are happening. Little steps. Amen. And uh, we're moving toward the finishing of all of this. Uh, work in the building. We've just got the ceiling and the carpet are the main jobs left. And of course, uh, we still have bathrooms and a few other things, but uh, praise the Lord, we're making some progress. It'll really look a lot better once we get all the trash out of the side yards. Uh, things will improve. All right, anyone else? Going once, going twice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we're thankful that you're working even when we're not aware. And we're thankful that we can trust you with any situation we face. Lord, we thank you for the good attendance. We thank you for uh, healing in people's lives. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust you with every situation we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Franz? Stand. Uh, 789, 789. Get ready, it's a good one. Hallelujah for the cross, amen.
Bibles turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And uh, we're going to cover some ground that uh, should be somewhat familiar uh, with us tonight. And uh, But uh, a message on service to the Lord, kind of continuing with the theme for Sunday morning. Exodus chapter 4. We're just going to look at the life of Moses and and uh, run this through the scripture here and when I when I think of Moses I mean we think of the old white-haired man with the big long white beard and just the absolutely impressive presence and and all of those things in Moses in Exodus chapter 4 was about 80 years old. Uh, someone once told, uh, summed Moses' life up in this direction. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house trying to pretend he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert learning he was nobody. And he spent the last 40 years of his life being somebody for God. And uh, that's a pretty good uh, summary of the life of Moses. But one of the things, whenever I think of Moses, and uh, I hope you do as well, uh, when we think of him, I think of Moses carrying that rod. And uh, he gets that rod in uh, Exodus chapter 4. My wife gets mad at me every time I do this, but how many of you watched that stupid imitation movie, The Ten Commandments? You know, Charlton Heston and all that stuff. And um, in, in that movie, the, the reason I 
bring it up is because it just... How many remember where Moses gets his rod in, in the movie The Ten Commandments? Does anybody remember that? Pharaoh gives it to him. Yul Brenner gives Charlton Heston the rod. And uh, that really... That just, that just really toasts me. I just... Ugh, because the world did not give Moses that rod. It, it wasn't something that Moses got living in the world. Moses got that rod because he was taking care of sheep. A shepherd has to have a good stick. Uh, anytime I take my kids walking through the woods, first thing they do, I don't care if it's over here in... Um, Oh, Alley Pond Park. They like to go over there, and there's lots of little trails you can walk on. And they're off the trail looking for sticks they can carry. You know, they're going to use it for their little rod to help them up the hill and all of that. And and they'll get the most crooked, ugliest, rottenest thing. I mean, the first time you put just a little pressure on it, it just crumbles into pieces. And Boy, you take it away from them, and there are tears on the trail. And I mean, Daddy is just the meanest thing that ever happened along. Uh, a rod like that is not going to help you, amen? Uh, if Moses was going to do something uh, to take care of the sheep, I mean, he needed a rod that uh, he could reach out there and, and uh, protect those sheep. Uh, he needed a rod that he can. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, kill snakes with. I mean, those were some of the things. He needed a rod if a lion or a wolf came along that uh, he'd be able to keep enough distance away from him. I read a story the other day of a uh, grandmother and grandfather hiking along a trail. I think it was in Alaska. And all of a sudden, this big sow bear came out of the woods and attacked her poor husband. And I mean, just had him by the shoulder in her mouth, just swinging him back and forth. And all she had, 60-some-year-old grandma, was her binoculars. And she just grabbed a hold of the strap and whipped that around and, and just nailed that bear right on the head. And uh, that bear stopped, looked around. and Now, the author of the story said saw the fire in grandma's eye and took off, but I, I don't think he quite she quite saw that. But uh, uh, a pair of binoculars could... It made that old uh, she-bear sit up and think a minute, and she took off down the trail. Uh, you know, there's there's times when, you know, something might be nice to have. And uh, so, as we read here in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses is on the backside of the desert. Now... And verse 1 of chapter 3, I don't know how, far, how much farther out of touch with uh, community and society and anything you can get than the backside of the desert. Uh, that's where Moses was. He had been there at this point for nearly 40 years. And as he is wandering around taking these sheep, and by the way, when you think of the backside of the, the desert, Moses was taking care of sheep. It was... it. It was talking more of a deserted place than a sandlot. Uh, there was pasture for the sheep out there; otherwise, he wouldn't have them. I mean, you didn't—you just didn't take uh, hundreds of sheep and go marching off into the desert, into the hot sun. Uh, 
you might not come back and most of the sheep wouldn't come back for sure. Uh, there was pasture. It, it means deserted place is what it means. And he was out there in this deserted place and he was even on the backside of the deserted place. And, and in verse 2 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see, I'm sorry, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And God introduces himself to Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to set my people free. Now, uh, if we read, uh, and we will in just a few moments here, in the book of Acts in chapter 7, we'll find out that Moses had some ideas. Now, I don't know how this all worked out, but Moses could not have lived with his mother for more than about five years. And yet, in that five years, Moses' mother did something, and God did something, that when Moses was 40 years old, he had not forgotten what his, that he was not an Egyptian. He was a Jew. Remember what Moses did? He went out to see how his brethren, the slaves, were doing. Now, Moses had grown up in the house of Pharaoh. He had everything he ever wanted. He had all the riches of Egypt. He had the best education. He had the fastest chariot. I mean, I don't know what all he had, but it said that he was trained in all of the learning of the Egyptians. He had everything the world had to offer. Somebody tried to make out that he was in line for the throne. Well, I don't know about that. But let's say his life could have been very comfortable and totally self-indulgent. He could have had anything and everything he wanted. Remember King Tut's tomb? He was buried in a solid gold coffin. He was 19 years old, King Tut. He had only reigned for about six months, and one of his guards or one, somebody uh, tapped him in the back of the head with a rod knocked, and killed him, murdered him. And that's uh, King Tut was a nobody that did nothing, and yet his tomb, people still talk about it today, all of the riches that was found. The reason it was so rich is because nobody had been in his tomb first. It was one of the hidden tombs. Could you imagine what the big Pharaoh's tombs might have been like? And Moses was there. He had all of these things. And in, in chapter 4, Moses is complaining to God. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Now, I love this verse here. 
And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? So here's Moses, and he's talking to God. He had turned aside to see the burning bush. And the first question Moses had was, Who are you? And God says, I am that I am. Now, if you ever want to confuse a Jehovah's Witness when they come up to you, they're going to ask you what God's name is. And you just quote here, you say, I am that I am. And they're going to look at you cross-eyed and they're going to say, that's not God's name. Oh, yes, it is. It says so right here. By my name, I am. That's God's name. And see, where they're going is they're going, God's name is Jehovah. Yeah, well, that's the Hebrew enunciation of I am, is Jehovah. And, and so you can confuse them and, uh, and show that you know a little bit more about what they think they know the most about, and that's God's name, and just read it to them. It is, I am that I am. And then Moses says, they're not going to believe me. And God is saying, okay, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Moses He's probably looking around at this time. Oh, in my oh, I got my I got my shepherd's rod. I just got a rod. And God says, cast it on the ground. And he did. Verse three. And it became a serpent, and Moses fled from the serpent. Now I love the story here because what did Moses use his rod to do when he saw snakes? kill snakes protect the sheep so here God tells him throw your rod down so he throws his rod down and it doesn't bounce on the ground and he looks and all of a sudden he sees this great six eight foot long snake laying there where his rod had been now this is just my imagination but I kind of like the picture here Moses grabs his rod and then he thinks about him wait a minute that's my rod down there moving and Moses runs away because he doesn't have his rod to protect himself or the sheep from the snake. And God tells him to grab it by the tail. Now, don't ever do that, all right? If you grab a snake by the tail, I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen. You're going to get bit at least once. And if it's a poisonous snake, uh, you just might not live to tell the story. But Moses goes over there and grabs that rod by the tail. Now, does that take some faith or what? I think it does, to be obedient to God's Word. I mean, he's running away from this thing, and he goes over and he grabs it by the tail, and all of a sudden it's a stick again. Now, only God can do that. You say, you really believe that happened? Yeah, I do. It says so right there. That's why I believe it. You think Moses was tapping that thing on the ground and just kind of bending it, trying to make sure that it was all solid again? And uh, God gives him several other signs. And uh, he tells him that you're to take this rod with you when you go back to Egypt. In fact, let's look here in verse 20 of the same chapter. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to Egypt. And Moses took, read that, we're going to start, and Moses, let's start right there. I want us to read the rest of the verse together. 
And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Whose rod was it now? It was God's rod. Who was carrying it? Moses. Whose rod did it used to be? Moses. When it was Moses' rod, was it good for anything except helping sheep and killing snakes? No. It was just a stick. When God got a hold of it, all of a sudden some things changed, didn't it? It was now a miraculous rod. And Moses had no idea what God was going to do with that rod. But I want us to just get a hold of this thing. Where did that rod come from? Moses already had it. He was using it to take care of the sheep. That's important. God is not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you already have. Most of us are trying to get something so that we can serve God someday. Wrong. doesn't work that way. You start right where you are with what you have in your hand. Now let's go to Acts chapter 7. And I just want to catch a few verses over here. And we're going to try to get through this whole thing tonight. Acts chapter 7. And this is Stephen telling the story of Moses. And he says in verse 22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came to pass in his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defeated him, defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, your brethren, why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Would thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Now, I want to just bring one other thing about the rod. When Moses went to face Pharaoh, Pharaoh came up with several compromises. He said, one of his compromises was, I want you to sacrifice in the land of Egypt. You can worship God right here where you are. Does anybody remember what Moses' response was to that? It says, we will sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians. A lamb. Now, Egyptians, they, they had a different outlook on life. They worshipped frogs and rats and pigs and different flies. They, they worshipped disgusting things. But a lamb to them was one of the most despised and disgusting animals on the face of the earth. 
to Moses, keeping sheep would be probably in our mind and our understanding about like taking care of a herd of sewer rats. I mean, it would be... It, Moses hated sheep. He had been raised by, in the house of Egypt. They were abominable to him. It was the most disgusting creature that walked the face of the earth. That was the mind of the Egyptians. Moses carried that rod to help him take care of the sheep. It's interesting. God took the symbol of Moses' failure and used it to be the symbol of God's power in Moses' life. Don't you just love that picture? Moses had tried to deliver Israel. All he did was commit murder. He ends up fleeing into the wilderness and taking care of sheep. Nothing could be more disgusting to Moses than that. God has a way of straightening us out. Amen? Getting our attitudes heading in the right direction. God took that rod and said, Moses, this is what we're going to do. Now, we don't have time. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of skip over all of this and, and, and just uh, summarize a lot of the rest. If you want to read the book of Exodus, uh, you can get a lot of these other things that are here. It was the rod that Moses had that God used to perform the miracles in the land of Egypt. He smote the dust with the rod and the lice came out. He smote the river with the rod and the frogs came out. And I'm not doing them in order here. Um, Moses had that rod with him everywhere he went. And that rod was a symbol of God's power. In fact, when the, they were standing there at the Red Sea with the water at their face and the Egyptian army coming after them to kill them all, God tells Moses to stretch out the rod over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parted. That's a pretty cool rod, amen? The symbol of Moses' failure. In Exodus chapter 17, they were at a place called Horeb, and there was no water to drink. And God told Moses to take that rod up there and smite the rock, and water would come out. And so Moses walks up there, with that rod, and he raps on that rock, and all of a sudden, it wasn't a little trickle, trickle, trickle. There were somewhere around two to three million Israelites. It wasn't a fire hydrant. It was a gusher. Let me tell you, I mean, there was water coming out of that rock because they had to give drink to all those people and all their animals, and I mean... It's a lot of water came out of that rock. Later on in Exodus chapter 17, whoops, yes, there was a group, the Amalekites, that attacked the Israelites and Moses took the rod up on the hill. Remember that story? And when he held the rod up, Israel was winning the battle. When his arm got tired, he began to let it down. And Israel was losing the battle. And so Aaron and Hur came up and they put a, moved a rock over to boister uh, Moses up. So let him lean on the rock. And then one got on this side and one got on that side. And they held that rod up until the sun went down and the victory was won. 
saying. Pretty wonderful thing for a simple old shepherd's crook, wasn't it? Moses just happened to be carrying it around because he was a shepherd. It was what was in his hand. But I want us to read one more story, and most of you know where we're going here. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. The rod was a symbol of God's power in Moses' life. It was a reminder to Moses of his past failures and of God's victory over those failures. That rod, humanly speaking, wasted the entire land of Egypt. That rod parted the wet Red Sea and destroyed the entire army of Pharaoh and of Egypt, including Pharaoh, by the way. But in Numbers chapter 20, God told Moses to get the rod out again. There was no water to drink. And in verse 7, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth water to them out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. So far so good. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear ye now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now look at verse 11. This was amazing. And Moses lifted up whose hand? His hand. And with whose rod? Moses' rod. Now wait a minute. It was the same piece of wood, my friend. But see, Moses was doing something with it God never intended to be done. And it was no longer God's rod. It was Moses' again. And Moses took Moses' rod and smote the rock with Moses' strength. And God performed a miracle and gave them water. But Moses missed out on the greatest blessing of his entire life. And that was entering the promised land. Because he took God's rod back and used it to satisfy his temper. Now, As we look at this, certainly we do not want to compare any of our lives here in this room to the greatness of a man called Moses. But God put this whole story in here so you and I could take some lessons. Amen? Number one, when you'll finally give up on who you are and what you're going to do and how great you're going to be, God will use you. Amen? He's not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you do have. And God will take what you do have and do miraculous things with what you already have. Amen? 
But the moment you decide you're going to take what God is doing in your life and use it for yourself, God's gone. What he used now belongs to you, and nothing good is going to happen. We can, uh, I've heard it preached this way, that Moses was the most successful failure in the Bible. He did all those great things. The most powerful nation on the face of the earth was the land of Egypt. And when Moses left, there was no economy. There were no animals. There was no army. There was no riches. There was no nothing left in the land of Egypt. Parted the Red Sea. Led the children of Israel for 40 years because of their disobedience through the wilderness. Got right down to the end. Decided to have a temper tantrum. And lost his ticket to the promised land. That's scary to me. How about you? There's, there's some warning here. God wants to use us. Each life. And he's already given you what he wants to use in your life. You have it. But the moment you take it back, I, I read this, I've got an underline in my Bible, Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice. That little pronoun just speaks chapters. Because before it was always called the rod of God. Amen? And you can take what God gives you and waste it. And that's the story of Moses. And, and we need to learn from this and get a hold of this. In fact, you read in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses really felt bad about this thing. He said, I asked God and finally God said, don't talk to me anymore. And when he talked to the children of Israel, he said, God was angry at me because of you people. You know, that's a sign. The problem is really with the person who's doing the talking, isn't it? Is when you want to blame it on somebody else. And Moses missed the promised land. Now, I'm glad I'm not a Pentecostal preacher because I'd be telling you, if you don't do right, you're going to lose your salvation and miss heaven. I'm glad. I don't believe that. I'm glad the Bible doesn't teach that. Amen? But what did Jesus say repeatedly to his churches in the book of Revelation? Church of Philadelphia, hold fast what thou hast, lest any man beguile thee or take thy reward from thee. You can lose rewards, my friend. You can lose a lot of things in service for Christ. Moses is here as a picture, an example to us. God's not playing around. He loves us. He wants to use us. But he's not going to let us do things our way. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would work in our hearts and in our lives. 
Lord, we're thankful tonight that there's a promise that you want to use each one of us in your service. Lord, we thank you that you'll take the nothing that we have and do great and mighty things with it. Lord, we ask that we would take the warning that we would not abuse, misuse the blessings of God and take them to ourselves. But we would let you do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, let's just keep our heads bowed.